Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to the incredibly knowledgeable comic book blogger Richard Sheaf about what comics he would take into a super intelligent ape uprising apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a big thank you to everyone who has supported my most recent Kickstarter for an oversized hardcover edition of the Milford Green Saga. We've almost reached 500%, which is beyond my wildest dreams. With 10 days remaining, if you like the idea of Victorians in space, be sure to check it out on Kickstarter by going to www.tinyurl.com forward slash the Milford Green Saga or simply click the link in the show notes. Also, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. Up until this Friday 30th of April, their £5 digital history of comics membership is just £3 a month or £30 a year, even cheaper. Uh, Find out more and subscribe by going to comicscene.org or, again, simply click the link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Richard Sheaf. How's it going? Uh, Very well, Sam. Very well indeed. Lovely, lovely sunny day today. It really has been. Um, And as we were just kind of saying, it's it's enough to make you feel normal as well. Yeah, Yeah, it gives you, you know... Brightens up my normal boring walk round uh, round the houses where I live at my my lunchtime. Now I work from home, so yeah, sort of sunny sunny day walking around in my shorts, my sandals. Yeah, feeling very relaxed. It's very good. Beautiful. Um, now, um, people that haven't come across you just yet, um, for those that haven't, um, what do you do in the world of comics? Um, so in the world of comics, uh, I'm a, a blogger and writer uh, about comics Um, i'm particularly interested in uh, british comics uh, sort of the history of british comics um so i have a blog uh which i post on every day um about some particular aspect of um comics normally within the i mean my blog is called the boys adventure comics dot blogspot um so it's normally about boys adventure comics um and that's my sort of main interest. So that sort of stems from, you know, probably sort of the original Eagle comic back in the 1950s uh, up until uh, anything in the present day, taking in sort of maybe, you know, 2000 AD, uh, taking in the sort of other sort of vintage British comics, artists, writers, um, just whatever uh, topics uh, I can think of to cover. Uh, and I've also written a number of articles uh, for Comic Scene, um, in its various incarnations and guises, and I've written in the recent sort of the history of um, incarnation of comic scene uh, on the sort of comics museum page, I think uh, Tony styles it. Uh, and occasionally when I write something really interesting, John Freeman uh, takes it, uh, improves it by about 100% and puts it on his Down the Tubes website. So that's that's what I do. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, no, it's a... It, it, it's a it's a great blog and you've been very supportive of um of comics for the apocalypse and and, and my work as well so yeah. it's greatly appreciated and i highly recommend everybody go check it out and what what was the url one more time there it uh it's the boys adventure comics dot blogspot dot com 
Excellent. And yeah, everybody can find that in the show notes. But where else can people find you online? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter, where I'm at Richard and Sheaf, S-H-E-A-F. Perfect. And of course, again, those links are in the show notes, folks. So uh, go follow Richard whilst we're um, whilst we're talking. Um, and uh, yeah, in, enjoy. Uh, now, um, all of that aside, um, unfortunately, on top of the current pandemic that we're living through, um, there's actually been an uprising of super intelligent apes oh, no. at the same time. Um, and my question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Oh, it sounds like they've been vaccinated, those super intelligent apes. I imagine that's what's yeah. made them super intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> what they say? And I, I believe the um, AstraZeneca um, vaccine has kind of developed from a chimp virus as well. So it could have been something to do that. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, my my, uh, my uh, plan for survival um, is to... Uh, uh, jump in the car and uh, head for the south coast. I think that's where I'm going to go. I think I've always fancied living on one of those, they're called Palmerston Forts, uh, and they're in the Solent. So they're sort of halfway between, you know, if you're on a ferry going from Southampton to the Isle of Wight, um, you go past these very large sort of concrete structures um, uh, sticking out of the Solent. Um, named after, I think, Viscount Palmerston, who was Prime Minister, and he sort of commissioned them. Um, I think they're like a Napoleonic War defence. Um, but, yeah, I, I really fancy heading for those. Uh, and that's mainly because, uh, I, as I understand it, in this version of the uh, super-intelligent ape uprising, they've learned to talk but not swim. Yeah. Um, apes are not nice. very keen on swimming. So I want to be somewhere where they can't swim out to me. Uh, so I think a Palmerston for mi- middle of the uh, the, the Solent there because um, I think is it uh, the Isle of Wight is that in, like in the day of the Triffids I think don't they, doesn't the Isle of Wight then become like a big um, it's going to be like the sort of the last bit of England that isn't taken over by the Triffids or something maybe I've imagined that I but really, anyway but yeah I but really four is. in the middle of the Solent I think a four yes. in the middle of the Solent easy access to the Isle of Wight if I need to easy access back to the mainland if I need to uh, and, and no no swimming apes coming to get me <laughs> amazing what a genius plan um and is anybody coming with you um i, I, I yeah tell, tell my wife uh tell my uh, two young kids yep as well they they, they make the grade <laughs> yeah yeah they, they're gonna they're gonna row me out to a palmerston fort so, so i'm gonna kind of need some <laughs> fantastic uh now once you get there and you get all set up um you gotta kind of you know make pass the time basically yeah. and uh the, the conversation of, of comics comes up and and uh your wife and, and kids ask first start off by asking you what's the first comic you remember enjoying uh the, i suppose the very earliest comics that i remember enjoying would be sort of uh, the tintin and asterisk section in my local library um i can still uh, even though it was a, a long time ago that I used to get Tintin and Asterix books out the local library, I'm still very, you know, I have a really clear mental picture of, you know, that particular bit of the library, sort of the shelves, you know, w- what they look like, um, you know, how, how big they were. How, um, because, yeah, I, I could just sit and sit there, uh, you know, and read and read and read. Um, you know, you could only, I don't know, you know, my kids can take out about 20 books, 25 books out of the library at any one time if they want to. Um, 
but but when I was a kid, you could only take three books out of the, of the library mm. at a time. And we, you know, we'd only, you know, we'd sort of go once a week. So we probably, you know, I'd probably try and read one of those sort of asterisks or tinted books while I was there, you know, in the library, you know, make a quick, quick decision, read one as quick as I could, you know, and try and read it before, you know, I had to finally select three, you know, from this huge selection they had uh, to take home. So yeah, probably those, uh, those asterisks and uh, Tintin books. And then probably the first comic I I remember, you know, really remember getting because my, my granddad used to buy uh, me a comic and my brother a comic every week. Uh, and my brother would always get uh, like a humour title. Um, so something like Wizard and Chips or Buster. Uh, and, and I got the, like a sort of more adventure title. So so New Eagle was the, was, was the first comic that, that I really remember. I, I know I got comics before that, um, more sort of like nursery titles as they would have been at the time, something like uh, Play Hour or something um but yeah but the, but the new eagle just you know just after that had started so when's that it's about 1983 i think i remember getting that so that's all yeah april 83 so yeah that, that's that would be uh, the first comics i remember enjoying fantastic and so um at that point were you more of just a just a reader or were you, were you creating in any way any way shape or form uh all, all, always always a reader uh, a terrible artist, you know, sort of stick men are about, you know, about, about as good as I could get. And Same. yeah, it's, uh, and yeah, just, you know, despite having, you know, uh, the room that once upon a time in this house, you know, what was the sort of the nursery, you know, it's the sort of you know, the, the smallest bedroom in the house. Now my kids have grown up a bit, you know, I, I've decanted them out of that room and made it into what we euphemistically call the study. Uh, but it's actually <laughs> my comics room and a computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there are quite a lot of comics in there, I have to be honest. Um, I, yeah, that, that urge to sort of write them or draw them um, has never never really been been with me. Um, but, but I've always been, you know, I've been interested in sort of the history and sort of being able to trace things back, which maybe I guess comes from reading The New Eagle when I was a kid, because I guess at the time, that was in the early 80s, and the original Eagle had finished uh, back in 1969. But, you know, but they, in the way that they did at the time, you know, they produced annuals for a few years after the comic had finished, you know, because I guess like, the, the brand was strong enough and people would just carry on buying that. You know, if your gran is buying you an annual for Christmas, she doesn't care whether there's a weekly comic or not. You know, she just wants to buy you an annual for Christmas. Uh, so, you know, you could still get those annuals, you know, like at a jumble style saying quite quickly. So I could see that there was this thing that I was reading and then there was this older version of this thing that I was reading and there was a link there somewhere, but I didn't quite know what it was. But I could see that this thing called Eagle, you know, my dad knew what it was and, you know, his brothers all knew what it was. So there was, you know, I could sort of see the sort of a bit of the, the DNA there uh, and that some of the characters are like Dan Dare in the new eagle and had been in the original eagle and then i knew there was this 2000 ad version of that there so you know so i was always aware i think of these sort of strands of history and it was just you know to me it was interesting about oh what, how, how do these all link up where do these all come from um and yeah and that always interested me more than american comics uh which which i just i just never read them as a kid you know, i wasn't avoiding them i just never really came across them you know i didn't get them on a weekly basis um and yeah, and then when, you know, by the time you know, I probably started seeing them, you know, I was sort of like committed weirdly to being into British comics rather than American comics. <laughs> Fantastic, loyal to the end. Exactly, exactly. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Um, and uh, so we're, we're heading back to the Palmerston uh, Fort. And I just looked them up on Google, by the way. It, it looks very oh. secure. Basically, <laughs> if anybody think, uh, listening, Google it and you'll see what we mean. I think there's about four or five of them, and I think there's probably a range of ha- habitation levels in some of them. Like some of them, you know, people have yeah. spent you know millions of pounds making like you know putting like a glass roof on top and making a huge sun deck. And I mean, hopefully they've all got like a water water salination treatment plant, you know, because I don't want to be surrounded by all that water thinking, oh, I'm very thirsty. Um, you know, and I think some of them are probably, you know, still still slightly ruined, but uh, but I'd definitely be heading for the deluxe Palmston Fort. Um, obviously, nobody else would be, so it would be fine. But um, Of course, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's very secure. It could be very cosy. Yes. Um, exactly. With a few trips to the mainland, no doubt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all, all the so I brought my rowers with me, see, so they can row me back oh, and forth to the mainland. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's, that, that's what a dad's being about, just being able to delegate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, now, um, heading yeah. back into this conversation to pass mm. the time, and the next question that your family asks you is, what's the funniest mm. comic that you've read? Uh, the funniest? Ah, that's a, that's a really hard question. You know, I've read a lot of, a lot of funny comics. I mean, you know, my, my brother was getting like a humour comic, uh, uh, like you know, Buster, uh, Wizard, and Tips, um, and uh, I know you know I didn't find them you know super funny, uh, but you know, but I've read things subsequently you know which I have found you know really funny. So this is a this is a hard one to choose from. Uh, you know, uh, Alan Moore before he became you know super serious. Alan Moore, you know, mm. is really funny. You know, he wrote yeah, yeah. you know his, you know his early work on. Um, Things like uh, Maxwell, Maxwell the Magic Cat, a little sort of newspaper strip, the Bo Jeffries saga. I've got a comic upstairs with him. It's like a football comic for sort of a not the nineteen eighty two World Cup tie in comic. It's got this fantastic strip about this, you know, uh, Spanish bloke playing football as as Alan Moore, and it's just fantastic. It's really funny. So <laughs> I'd I'd really like it to be Alan Moore, uh, but I think I'd just always be thinking. Oh, but he did other things, and I would just be overshadowed by that. Um, so, having having just pledged my allegiance very loyally and very publicly, you know, on this great public forum to say I love British comics, uh, obviously I'd like to choose an American comic uh, as being the funniest <laughs> thing <laughs> that I've ever read. Um, and I would specifically choose uh, uh, a chapter of Jeff Smith's uh, Bone series. I don't know, you, you come across Bone? Yes, uh, yeah, travels. yeah. It's come up a couple. It's, it's come up a couple uh, yeah. of times on the pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I would probably choose uh, chapter ten uh, in that, um, which I think I think it's about fifty or sixty issues all in. Uh, and chapter ten uh, is uh, entitled "The Great Cow Race." Um, <laughs> so it's it's quite hard to describe why why it is funny uh but if you if you've never come across bone uh then i'd really recommend it i mean the uh, the the illustration sort of style um you know so it, it's almost like animation some of it you know the guy jeff smith i think comes from an animation background um so but he uses sort of very almost very few lines but the everybody's face is so expressive and their just their body language and the way you positions and articulates people um so you know you can tell a lot from going on just from looking at it um and that, that works brilliantly and it basically it's the story of 
uh, these three, they're sort of not, not quite anthropomorphic, um, but these three uh, strange little guys and their cousins, and they get run out of the town in which they live, in which they've grown up in, and they end up uh, in this sort of lost valley, and they go on to... Uh, the story becomes this huge sort of all-encompassing uh, epic sort of quest saga. But at the start, it just feels quite cute, quite funny, uh, mm. quite sort of folksy, uh, but, but, it, but it transforms in, into this saga. But there's this one particular bit where um, essentially the sort of the, there's these three characters. You know, one of them is sort of, you know, the very straight and narrow sort of hero. Well, one is the more sort of uh, money grabbing one. And then there's sort of like sort of a, a crazy idiot sort of cousin as well. Uh, and it's just, you know, I love in strips where you, you've got lots of pieces of the puzzle all coming together at one moment. And that happens in this race, um, which is so it's called the Great Cow Race. And, you know, the sort of the slightly uh, crooked uh, bone character, you know, wants, you know, not his horse but you know his cow in the race you know he's got a cow <laughs> yeah. in the race and he wants that cow to win and he's very definite and it, you know it's all a it's all a, it's all a setup because there's another one of the bone cousins is actually disguised as a cow um and t- 10 seconds before the start of the race somebody comes along places an enormous bet and suddenly the, the whole plan has to pivot 180 degrees like whoa we got to lose the race so he sort of charges off and says we got to we got to change you know change the plan change the plan and he's like, no, I'm in a cow race now. You can't stop me. I've got to, no, no, no. I got. They've got to get in a cow suit, and they just, they just charging across the country, and then the cow race and these other creatures, and they just all literally collide uh, on this mountain. Uh, and it's just the, the the language, the dynamism of it all hangs together. I mean, I think it. This is probably from the mid '90s, and I think it won an Eisner Award that year for being, you know, for for, for the funniest comic. Um, and it's just. It's really hard sometimes to read a comic and laugh out loud because laughing is quite a social activity. So, you know, I, I read it this evening before we started chatting and I still mm. laughed at it. So I thought, that's good. It's still, it's still you know. <laughs> it's staying. <laughs> it's a keeper, that one. So, uh, yeah, so I really recommend anyone checking out Bone. Uh, like I say, it starts off in quite this sort of gentle, sort of folksy, whimsical sort of tale. Um, but, it, but it turns into this sort of epic quest narrative by the end. I, I don't mean to put anybody off it. Um, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic artist. Uh, and yeah, like I said, just the way you can illustrate a character, you know, you can just read in them so much, you know, even when they're just stood still because, you, you know, you can see what's going on in their eyes, their posture. Um, it's just it's beautifully illustrated. That's fantastic. Uh, now, uh, changing gears, the next question that crops up, is what's the saddest comic that you've read? Um, the saddest. So, so I picked um, sort of the most upsetting moment in a comic, um, yes. um, and and that was quite hard because um, I, you know, I don't often cry when I read comics, um, but but I but I did find one that did make me cry, which actually is a newspaper cartoon strip. Again, my profound and professed love of British comics. I've chosen an American newspaper strip. (laughs) 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 I'm feeling like a fraud. The the more and more my family asks me these questions, they're making me question the nature of existence and what I'm doing with myself. (laughs) It's all getting very deep. Uh, um, And and that newspaper strip um, is a strip called Doonesbury. Uh, You ever come across Doonesbury as a newspaper strip? I hadn't before. No. 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 
so yeah it's this sprawling sort of epic newspaper strip uh which has been running since 1970 um but just you know four panels a day uh and it's got a huge sort of cast of characters in it um and there's uh, one of them who's a guy and he, you know, he appears in the very first strip back in 1970 uh and he's called bd um and so in the strip it sort of starts off in a sort of an american university and it follows a, a bunch of friends who get together there and then the strip just you know carries on basically and it sort of follows their lives after they you know while they're at university and then once they leave university um so there's sort of uh, there's a sort of some archetypal characters uh in there there's the sort of there's a mike he's a sort of he's mike doonesbury he's the titular character so he's sort of uh, quite quite the sort of nerdy character there's boopsy who's the sort of the bimbo character in it and then there's bd who is the jock character uh and, and he always wears a helmet uh, he, when he when we first meet him in the strip uh, he's wearing a, a, a an american football helmet and he just always wears that american football helmet so you know when he's at university you know he does play american football so you think well he's wearing an american football helmet because he's just about to go to practice or just come back from practice or but then, you know, as as his life develops, he just, you know, he gets jobs where he's required to wear a helmet. Uh, and, you know, even <laughs> home, uh, home and socially, he just always wears a helmet. And it's just, you know, it's just one of those, uh, you know, quirky things about him that if you knew him, you'd sort of, uh, you know, it, it would just become invisible to you, as I guess it's yeah. become invisible to him. You know, he just he just yeah. does wear a helmet and, uh, and that's OK. Um, and one, so the strip is probably quite, you know, quite left leaning, um, BD goes off to war uh, because he's quite right. He's sort of the right wing jock sort of character. So right. it's, you know, an interesting way for, uh, for the creator, uh, Gary Trudeau to, to look at war, look at American involvement in war um, and how that plays out, you know, by having BD, you know, typically sort of, you know, meet the locals um, and, you know, sort of express, you know, contrast his worldview with their worldview. So he goes to Vietnam and, uh, but he, but he ends up in, um, in this strip on April 19th, 2004, um, he's in the Gulf, uh, he's in the Gulf war, uh, or probably Gulf war two or, uh, no, nothing <laughs> should be called Gulf war. Yeah. One, 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 of, one of those worthwhile wars that we remember exactly what we did and what, what we fought for and why we won and lost. Anyway, one of those wars in, in, in the middle East. Um, and, uh, and, and essentially he gets hit, you know, he's a soldier, uh, you know, um, and he gets hit. Um, and so, yeah, like I say, one, two, three, four panels. And in the fourth panel, uh, there's a picture of him and he's just sort of, you know, he's lying there because he, he's on a stretcher and he's being carried away um, by the sort of the, the, the medical team. Uh, and the first thing I thought when I looked at that fourth panel was, oh my God, they've taken his helmet off. Right. So, yeah. so he saw, he's sort of lying sort of, Top right to bottom left. So top right is a view of his hair. And I thought, oh my God, his hair. I can't believe I can see his hair. You know, I've read the strip for, uh, uh, well, I've, you know, I've gone back and I've read all the back issues. So I've read the strip for 34 years. I can, oh my God, I can see his hair. And that really caught my attention. And then what well, more slowly caught my attention in the sort of the bottom left of the frame was the fact that uh, his left leg had been amputated below the knee. Uh, mm. So, you know, he'd been hit and he'd been hit really bad uh, uh but you know it's just so it's it's beautifully arranged and this sort of this epic moment where they you know they take his helmet off uh and then you realize that actually that's not the most shocking thing about this frame most shocking thing is that you know his, his lower left leg you know has been blown off 
Uh, and yeah, four, four panels, shed a tear. Uh, yeah, and it's hard to do in four panels, but yeah, Very hard. it really got me. Yeah. What a feat. Mm. Yeah, or oh, not a foot, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's a terrible, that's a terrible joke. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, it, that's really powerful and that's mm. really interesting. Um, it's, it's great to kind of have that, um, that background on it because, of course, as you mm. say, um, for, for any regular readers of that strip, it'd be 34 years that you would have read that and never seen yeah. that guy's hair. No. Right? And then, like, the first thing you notice despite the fact he's got an amputated leg, is the fact that he doesn't have a helmet on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I found it. that I mean, really shocking. I was like, oh yeah. my God, he hasn't got a helmet on. This is, this is terrible. What the hell is going on? This is really bad. <laughs> Let alone the fact <laughs> he's lost a leg. Yeah. And it's only slowly that you realise that, oh, that's not the worst thing that's happened today to him. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's really... Oh my God. And yeah. that, well, that's obviously credit to... to it's Gary Trudeau, you say? It's, it's Gary, Gary Trudeau, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's still... I mean, he, for so like I say, the strip's been running since 1970, and it has run. It ran seven days a week, probably for I'm going to say about over 40 years. It ran every day, uh, and then oh, he had a couple. He had a well, he had a hiatus for a year, like like a what, what, what do you call it? A sabbatical for a year at one point, sort of 79 to 80. Uh, uh, but probably, and then he went off and he wrote a TV series sort of in the, I'm going to say in sort of the mid-2010s. So then the sort of strip started to go on sort of re- re- reprints, but, but new material on a Sunday. Um, and then the new material on a Sunday continues, and, and he has been running a, a Twitter feed um, for one of the, via one of the characters in the strip, who's the sort of the journalist character who sort of... Uh, has worked for a, a number of different broadcasters over the years, but has turned, you know, in, in the strip has turned into this sort of, you know, he, t- he, he sort of tweets on behalf of, well, he doesn't really, but he tweets on behalf of Fox News. You know, he's a sort of Fox mm. News um, character, let's say. And it's, you know, so so he's, you know, and so, but he's, he's now had to sort of retire that character because, you know, it's just, he had a sort of, you know, as a, left-leaning person you know he had you know trump to rail against uh and you know his, his heart is not quite in railing against joe biden in quite the same way that it is um, no. to rail <laughs> against uh, donald trump so <laughs> so but even so yeah so so a sunday strip um like like i said it's, you know that that still comes out um and yeah you know it's an incredible body of work uh to reduce over that period um and uh yeah i'd, I'd love to i mean i I have been to the states, but you know, not not for not for a long time. But I'd I'd love to know sort of the I don't know because over here, you know, it's just you know, it's in the Guardian, uh, and it's just it's just sort of a I don't know, not, it doesn't have the same sort of place in the cultural comics mm. ecosystem that I think it does in the states, where you'd sort of you know Garfield and Peanuts and you know, Doomsbury probably you know sort of right at the sort of top of the tree of you know these these are the strips. Um, that they really revere, whereas over here it's a bit of a shrug of the shoulders and a bit of a dunes who, hey, you know. So I'm sort of, oh, you know, I'd love to <laughs> be, in, be in that space where I could think, oh, you know, there are people here who 
I love Doonesbury like I love Doonesbury, but um, exactly. but they're probably not to be found on a Palmerston fort in the Solent. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> probably not, unfortunately. Uh, but that's that's a fantastic choice, mm. really interesting. And mm. um, now changing gears once mm. again, the next question that comes up is: What's the scariest comic? Uh, the scariest comic? Well, I have to say, I, uh, I, I feel I'm a, probably the first guest on who's who's never read any Junji Ito. Um, so <laughs> for anybody waiting for this week's Junji Ito comic, you'll have to fast forward for the next five minutes because I'm not going to pick one. <laughs> it's probably because I'm too scared to read them now. The hype is too yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, like the previous guest for, for any new listeners, uh, Junji Ito is kind of appeared probably on about 50% of the choices of the scariest comic. Um, so yeah, that's that's why that's referenced to. Yeah, the hype is massive. <laughs> I'm going to see one in a comic shop at some point. You know, when we can go back to shops and things, I'm yeah. going to see one in a shop, and I'll be like, you know, sort of skirting around it, like you know, anxiety table, attack. You know? Yeah, exactly. You go, whoa, oh, careful, everyone. There's a Junjito comic over there. I go, whoa, you want to <laughs> steer, steer well clear of that. Um, so yeah, so I haven't chosen him, uh, but but for a change, I thought I'd pick a British comic actually um, <laughs> to this really? time. We're back on track. <laughs> exactly, it's all about the brand. I've got to get the brand back on track. <laughs> um, so I've chosen a comic uh, that first appeared uh, in the mid nineteen seventies, uh, written by uh, Pat Mills, who's a well known comics writer and creator. Um, you know, sort of. The self-styled sort of godfather of British comics, uh, you know, uh, instrumental in the launch of 2000 AD, um, you know, uh, and many other titles over the years. Um, but I, I picked a strip that he wrote uh, and it was illustrated by uh, an artist who I love uh, called Joe Colhoun, uh, who I think he drew some, like the, the early Roy the Rovers strips in line in the 1950s uh, are, drawn, are drawn by Joe Colhoun. Um so that's sort of one in the comic spectrum. Uh, and then this is much later on in his career, sort of the mid seventies into the early eighties, I guess, uh, drawing uh, Charlie's war, um, is, is the strip I picked out in particular. Um, and I, I haven't, uh, to my shame, written down the issue that this comes from, but this is relatively early on in the, on the strip. I think there's, I think Titan Books put out, I think there's about 300 episodes of Charlie's War. Uh, so Titan Books put out a sort of a, a series of sort of about a dozen large A4 volumes and a rebellion have put out sort of three quite chunky sort of paperbacks. Um, yeah, about about 300 episodes. Uh, and it follows, set in the First World War, and it follows the story uh, of the titular Charlie, Charlie Bourne, who is a sort of uh, East End lad, uh, who is who's too young to sign up for the you know for the Great War uh, you know as, as it was seen at the time? Um, but he lies about his age. Uh, everybody knows he's lied about his age, but you know, but the recruiting sergeant doesn't worry too much about that, and they let him in. And essentially, the strip is then about you know you know life on the Western Front, which you know is sort of the opposite you know the complete opposite of what it feels a comic strip should be about, which is about mm. dynamism and movement and change. Uh, whereas actually, if you sit on a trench on the Western Front for four years, you know, it's going to be quite hard to maintain that level of interest for over 300 episodes, you know, when, you know, when not much happens. You know, you would have to really string out those Christmas Day football matches quite a lot, um, you know, for sort of something interesting in inverted commas to happen. So actually, you know, 
Charlie meets characters and they tell him their stories. Uh, you know, and he, and he travels around. He has various roles that he performs. Um, but but at the start, um, he, he enlists uh, and uh, he has a mate, Ginger. Uh, so Charlie and Ginger, sort of these two East End sort of uh, boys. Um, and in this particular episode, um, there's been uh, an attack. Uh, and, and, you know, Charlie and Ginger uh, are sort of trying to shelter from the attack while they've been on sort of lookout duty. Um, and Charlie is walking down the trench towards an officer. Uh, and the officer says, what have you got in that bag, soldier? If you've been sealing supplies, Charlie didn't reply. He was a man in a world of his own. So he's challenged again by the officer. I'll ask you again, soldier. What have you got in that bag? And Charlie replies, my mate, sir. My mate, Ginger. And it's not a very big bag, you know, but the oh idea, you know, yeah, you know like when you're reading it, oh, my God, you know, he's, yeah. sort of, he's literally <laughs> scraped up his mate, Ginger, you know, oh, and, and put them, you know, in this sort of small Hessian bag. And he's now just like, I've got to put this somewhere and do something about it. It's like, oh, my God. Um, you know, and then, you know, some of the things you read about in the story, in the strip, you think, oh, my God, is this real? You know, you know, Pat Mills, you know, he's a you know, loves his research, you know, the, you know, the, the stuff that he puts in, you know, is all things that happened, you know, the sort of the, the horrors and the, the barbarism, uh, you know, are all, are all too, are all too real. But, uh, yeah, this bit, you know, the sort of the, the look on, uh, Charlie's face and this, this bag that he has in his hand. So yeah, I thought that was, that was pretty horrific. And fantastic yeah. strip though i'd recommend yeah it. yeah absolutely fantastic strip but oh. um beautifully illustrated Indeed. Um, yeah. through through the storytelling of, mm-hmm. of pat mills and yeah obviously the, the the drawings of uh joe colquhoun um i mean yeah that's it's probably one of the most powerful comics mm. out there yeah. um kind of sure. a bit of a a warning to future generations really yeah you know, war war isn't a pretty thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know. <laughs> Try to know, avoid it at all costs. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and Pat is always very proud of it. You know, always yes. speaks by very highly. Uh, you know, of, of Joe Calhoun's work um, on it, uh, and you know, and definitely, you know, sees it as one of the you know the, the finest things that that, that he's done. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just the artwork. You know, it's just. I mean, it's black and white. You know, occasional bits of colour, but you know, it's black and white, and it's just, just looks so muddy the western front you know and i don't know much about it but i know it was pretty muddy but in this strip it just you know it just it's just horrible all, you know all the way through you know there are bits where you know they leave the trenches or you know they hear about other stories and you know other things happen because it does ultimately need some dynamism you can't sit in it you can't have a strip sat in the trench you yeah, know so <laughs> for 300 episodes it just wouldn't work no matter how beautifully illustrated that mud was people just would vote with their feet and say i'm not having this so um yeah. You know that that dynamism is introduced into the strip, but you know, ultimately, you know, it, it, it's Charlie, and you know, and how he, you know, tries, you know, how he gets on in, in the Great War. So yeah, some amazing strip. Um, I really recommend it for anyone who hasn't picked it up. Epic. Now, uh, moving on to one of my favourite questions, and that is, what is your favourite comic, uh, favourite cover, rather? <laughs> Uh, my my favorite cover. Oh, this is right up there with choosing choosing your favorite kid. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> those sort of um, you know that, you know comic covers. You know, just uh, fantastic. You know, you sort of think, oh, something like you know, Commando comic. 
you know, there's thousands and thousands of issues I've got, you know, loads of beautiful Ian Kennedy covers that, you know, that, that I just adore. Um, you know, 2000 AD with all its sort of, you know, Brian Bolland covers, you know, Mick McMahon covers, Dave Gibbons, you know, it's like, how, how do you choose? Um, and, and, and in the end, I thought, well, actually, some, sometimes those covers um, not annoy me. But I think, you know, when I sort of look at that cover, I think, oh, it's a beautiful Ian Kennedy cover on this. You know, the colour is amazing. The dynamism is fantastic. And then you sort of open it. You go, wait, hang on, wait a minute. I've been sold a pup here. <laughs> this, you know, this, this, this is not Ian Kennedy inside. This is somebody else who is ready. And I understand that's that's how business, this, this is how business works. And, you know, and I get that. And, it's, and I'm not, I'm, it's no longer a surprise. But I feel that, you know, you get a great cover artist and you get suckered into buying the comic. And then you read it and you turn it, you know, first page. You're like, whoa. Somebody else has drawn this. I wanted the guy who did the cover because that cover is fantastic. <laughs> this is much more average. This, this, whoever this person is inside, I'm sorry to say, you are. The, there's a reason you're not the cover artist. If you were really good like that cover artist, you wouldn't be doing internal art. So, um, so, uh, so I feel I've had to, you know, exclude all of those uh, on the basis that they cheat. You know, they get a much better cover artist than they have internal artists. So I couldn't have any of those. Uh, so I had to have a, um, a, a, a cover. Uh, where you know where, where the, the artist uh, of the cover and the sort of the strip were the same person. Uh, so in fact, I've ended up picking um, a copy of the original Eagle comic um, from January tenth uh, of January nineteen fifty eight, uh, which for anyone reading along at home is Volume Nine, Issue Two, um, and that is from a story called Reign of the Robots, uh, and it's illustrated by Frank Hampson who uh, was sort of the the creator and sort of the ideas man behind um, the original Eagle comic uh, and was was the, uh, was the premier artist on the Dan Dare strip. Um, and I chose that, you know, so there's a there's about a thousand issues of the original Eagle. So, you know, even then there's quite a lot to choose from. Um, uh, and I went with this one because uh, I own the original art for the cover. Uh, and it was an 18th birthday present to me from my you know, from my parents, um, oh. uh, you know, which was a very generous gift, uh, oh. very unexpected, um, and yeah, it's just given me a lot, a lot of pleasure from looking at it over the years. You know, it's very there's a sort of essentially there's a there's a satellite orbiting the Earth, which is controlling some ro- robots on Earth, and the robots have taken over the Earth. Um, so what we need to do is destroy the, uh, the satellite that's orbiting Earth, and that will sort of cut off the signal to the robots on Earth, and therefore they'll sort of you know, fall into abeyance, and you know, humanity will be able to take over and go back to being in charge. Uh, so it's a sort of, there's a sort of a, it's a sort of the missile head is sort of separating from the last sort of stage of, of, of the rocket. Um, so, so it's very dynamic. Um, you know, it would, you know, if I described that to somebody who was a, a Dan Dare fan, you know, they'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I know that cover, I know that one you're talking about, uh, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, and it's illustrated, and then so you get this very large panel with that happening, and then da, 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 three three smaller panels underneath, sort of driving the story on, um, and it's and it's all drawn by the same person. Well, except I, I say that, but actually the airbrushing in the background is done by a different person who were actually drawn the rocket, but that's just the way they sort of divvied the work up in the studio. You know, they'd have someone who's like, okay, you're, you're the king of airbrushing. So you do the airbrush work in the background. You know, nobody's got a whack on tablet in 1958. So, you know, you've got to have someone who's, no. <laughs> you know, you've got maybe someone who's the figures person. You've got somebody who's the sort of the mechanical yeah. person. You've got somebody who's mm-hmm. then doing, you know, the sort of, like I say, the, 
uh, the airbrushing work. So, you know, very sort of, you know, it, bits of a frame, you know, can be drawn by, by different people. But, um, but yeah, so, so, so I, I've, I've chosen that for that sort of honesty of having the same person drawing uh, the cover uh, and, and the strip uh, and, and because I'm lucky enough to own it and it, you know, um, it's given me so much pleasure. That's amazing. And is, it, is that like on a Bristol board or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it's, so it's, it's massive. Pretty, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, the really early strip work that they did for uh, the original Eagle was probably, I mean, it's, if you've ever seen one, you know, they're, they're quite big. You know, they're a lot bigger than like a traditional American comic book size. You know, they're sort of, yeah. I don't know, they're almost A3 sort of size. So, you know, they're really big. And they're doing, and the art is is bigger than that. You know, it's maybe one and a half up. Um, but as time goes on and they get, essentially get better at it and they know what they're doing, the art, I mean, the, the paper size of the comic shrinks and the size of the art shrinks. Um, mm. So it probably ends up being, I mean, it's always bigger than a4 but it's closer to a4 than to a3 uh and this is yeah so it's still getting shrunk down slightly in the in the reproduction process um but yeah it's just very it's just you know and the even though the quality of the reproduction that eagle was able to achieve you know was was much higher than that of its competitors because of the process it was using uh for that printing called uh, sort of photogravure so you get a very sort of you get you get these fantastically bright and vivid colours. Uh, you know, it's more sort of literally sort of photographic rather than sort of more sort of those Ben Day dots, you know, just sort mm, of yeah. um, mm-hmm. process. So, yeah, so very bright, very vivid colours. And then you, and then when you re- get hold of a piece of original art, you realise that even though it looks very colourful and bright on the printed page, when you actually see what it was originally drawn as, you know, was how it was originally coloured and painted. You know the, the quality is so much better. So even with the best printing presses in the world to print this stuff, you know they still couldn't capture you know the, the vitality and the colour that was in the, the art um, when it when it was drawn. So yeah, so it's even more colourful. It's even more vibrant. It's even more detailed. Um, you know, when, when if you're lucky enough to see one in real life, that's amazing. And yeah, the the creative process kind of before digital really fascinates me. And just, I guess, kind of the patience that you had to have in order yeah. to create something, particularly comics, where you've got a whole team of people trying to put themselves into one thing. Um, and, and particularly if, you know, you were in different places mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, I mean, obviously, they're lucky enough to like have a whole studio for the Eagle, I assume. Um, so, and do it all yeah. in the house or... Yeah, so for for the Dan Dare strip, so yeah, that that was produced by by a team of people. So mm. you know, so they're producing two pages a week, uh, which is obviously which is you know pencils, colours, letters, um, mm. but you know, but it is taking them all week to produce two pages. Uh, you know, they, I mean, literally, you know, sort of Monday would be like right. Actually, what we need to do is we need to photograph you people in the in the correct pose. You know, so we have a vision for you know. How the strip, how the pages are going to look, but actually we want to photograph you because we want to get the folds in your clothes just right. So, you, so that would you know, so the the artists are are working in a house. You know, they've worked in various places because they started off in uh, up in Southport, um, it was where Frank Hampson and Marcus Morris, uh, who was sort of the editor, uh, had met and they run a parish magazine together that became a national magazine, um, and that gave that was their sort of 
uh, sort of their start in publishing, which they then are able to transfer into sort of into Eagle eventually. Um, but ultimately, that was being published out of London. They were living in Liverpool. It was too far apart, uh, and it was all getting a bit stressful with deadlines and things. So they they, they all decamp uh, down to. Uh, just outside uh, sort of Surrey, not too far from where I am, uh, around Epsom area, you know, much closer to London. But, you know, they're all sort of working in the same, uh, you know, big house. So Frank Hampson lives in this house and then the other artists, they come in and, and they work in the house. Um, and they do things like, oh, well, actually what we need, we need to be able to take photos. Um, obviously you can't always take photos outside, right? So we've got to take photos inside. That's fine. Sometimes it'd be really good to have a sort of a double height uh, space where we can take these photos in case somebody's up a ladder we need to be able to take a photograph of them at the top of a ladder mm. okay so what we'll do is we'll take, take the floor out of this room so that we can... <laughs> <laughs> so you know so on monday and tuesday is taking photographs and then developing photographs because they're probably developed i think they developed them literally in-house literally in their house oh, um yes. you know and then you've got and then you do sort of the pencil roughs uh you know and 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 you're you know, then once the pencil roughs have been done and they've been sort of ag- agreed by Hampson, then then you start to sort of then you're inking them, then you're colouring them. You know, Hampson is sort of okay in these, or you know, rejecting them as you go along. You potentially got, like I say, different people working on different elements of the page. You've got somebody will be doing the figure work, somebody doing the mechanical side of things. You know, maybe the the, the robots, the spaceships. You got somebody doing the background. Um, you know, and. I want to say all to produce two pages a week, you know, you know, two, you know, you know, fantastic, you know, iconic pages. Um, but you know, the, the amount of work required to do, you know, is is seen as incredible. And inevitably when Eagle gets, uh, the publisher, uh, Holton press get bought out by another company, uh, you know, they start looking through the books and go, oh, you know, we're spending a lot of money on these people to produce two pages a week. And yet over here, we've got somebody producing, you know, one page a week for about 10%. Right. You know, get rid of the studio. Um, and, you know, and, and then it's, you know, so the studio is disbanded. Artists leave, you know, and it does become more of a sort of a, you know, a, a one man job of somebody going, right, I'm going to do, you know, pencils, inking, coloring all myself, uh, a more traditional approach but but yeah i mean the i mean the the quality of the roughs that you know hampson produces for some of these you know are just you know are, are unbelievable and would you know would, would be fine to be published but you know they're just they're just pencil roughs so you know you have to work them all up through in, in king coloring as well but yeah incredible li- laborious uh process but you know just the results are amazing exactly Kind of you, you get what you pay for <laughs> again, and like the Camera, amount of yeah. uh, effort that they put yeah. in clearly, clearly showed. Yeah. And like, yeah. to have a bit of art like that, an original art, um, mm. oh, that is amazing. So I assume you've got this in a frame. And um, maybe, or... well, what, what I've actually got is I've got a very good, high quality photocopy of it in a frame nice. on the wall. Yes, um, yeah, but yeah. Only, only because and the other one is in a secret safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the other one is in a, in a folder. Um, where yes. yeah, you know, from yeah. from the keeping it safe, but you know, but I still you know I can still see that that beautiful colour copy every day, and yes. I can still on occasion go upstairs, open up that folder, and go you know the the few you know some of the art I, I can look at and go yeah there it is, and yeah on, on occasion yeah. if I you know and the fact that that went through the process, you know the creators yeah. had touched that the yeah. artists and the airbrushes yeah. and everything that's beautiful yeah. man yeah. that is beautiful amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Uh, now, uh, moving on to another of my mm-hmm. favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Uh, the most meaningful comic. Um, so, so I think I would. Um, I, I struggle with this a bit, in, you know, in terms of you know meaning. You know, what, what does meaning mean? You know, what does meaningful mean? But you know, in, in the yeah. end, I think that um, I, I, I would go back to the Doonesbury strip um, because. So, I guess one of the interesting things about okay, well, one of the things about newspaper strips. Uh, maybe in comic strips in general, is that typically people don't age. You know, Peter Parker, you know, is still about the same age he was as when we met him. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, you know, Archie and Jughead and Veronica and Betty and everyone else in Riverdale, they're all still, you know, whatever they are, you know, second year university students or something. Um, you know, people people don't age. Um, and in the Toons Strip, one of the interesting, or interesting to me anyway, things is that, Maybe for that, I think they sort of they go to university for like the first ten years of the strip, you know, which you know even for doing classes very slowly, you know, it, you know is, uh, you know, is quite long. But after yeah. that, they you know so from the early eighties, you know, they sort of break free from university, and, you know, they and they land in the real world, uh, and they get jobs and they have you know, ad- adventures is the wrong word, you know, but but they have, uh, they have to live in the real world and, and they start to age, pretty much in real real time. Uh, and it, it's a vast sort of collection of characters who have appeared. Some some of them appear all the time. Some of them appear infrequently. Some of them appeared forty years ago and haven't been seen since. And sometimes a character will appear. So one of the, uh, if I think about somebody like so Mike Mike Doonesbury, he's the main guy. Um, and I was reading it, uh, and there was you know sort of there was a new girlfriend character being introduced for him. Um, and I thought, oh, it's interesting, a new girlfriend, you know, maybe you know, this is this is going to work out well. Uh, and I was really, I suddenly thought, hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute. this 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 new character has been introduced. It turns out, is not a new character. Actually, she's a character that appeared in it twenty years before as as a um, one of the sort of the uh, Vietnamese boat people character. So she was in it for a couple of weeks, and then disappeared. And yet somehow when he was drawing 20 years later, this new girlfriend being introduced, somehow in that he was able to reference either through you know, how, how the figure spoke or how they acted that actually, if you really knew about the strip, you'd think that, hang on, wait, we've met this person before 20 years ago. Oh, my God. Uh, you mm. know, wow. uh, so, yeah, so, so some, you know, some characters you know, might disappear for 20 years and then they'll come back. Um, uh, and, and it means that some of them die as well. Uh, mm. You know there are you know a range of uh, ages uh, of, of characters in the strip. You know some of them are on their first family, their second family. Some of them are having kids, and uh, some of the strip's children are having children. You know what I mean? You know the, sort wow. of, it becomes sort of a multi generational wow. strip. You know because you know everybody is growing up, and that and that means you know that on occasion. Uh, so we talked about BD, sort of the jock character who got his leg blown off and doesn't die, um, uh, and actually. You know, I remember reading an interview with Trudeau at the time, and he was talking about, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's quite, would be quite. I mean, he, BD, you know, one of the centre point characters. You know, it would have been quite sort of easy to kill him off. You know, you could have killed him off in that in that strip that I'd found so affecting. Yeah. Um, but actually, what he did is he went down a sort of a harder route of not killing him off and making him, you know, a, a, what they call a bit a BTK, a below the knee amputee, and then he tells his story. Um, about his rehabilitation 
which is a which mm. is a you know a harder, longer story to tell. But you know the impact of you know in a four panel newspaper strip. Once you've killed somebody off, next day, right? That's it. You know we're onto a new. You know we're onto something new. You exactly. Know, sort of, the next you've day. had you've had the big bang <laughs> on one day, and then the next day people have moved on. Whereas actually, by you know, tell BD's story, you know, over the next few years about you know about his his, his struggles with his family, about with his uh, his life, about you know the rehabilitation that he has to go through. He tells that sort of story, uh, which you know has more resonance, you know, to you know to military families um, who, who will see you know their stories playing out there, uh, and you know and how hard it is. So, you know, so you sort of see their struggles as well as their, their triumphs. Uh, and like I say, you know, on occasion, uh, you know, characters, uh, uh, you know, they, they just die. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, when they you say, oh, my God, you know, they've, they've died. I'm never going to see um, you know, that character ever again. Uh, and because I've been reading it for so long uh, and there's, there's all these characters, you know, they do feel like family uh, uh, and therefore they sort of have, I've invested in them, uh, and, and that's why they're the most meaningful uh, characters uh, and, and comic to me. That's beautiful, man. Um, and yeah, it just that's incredible to be able to have a a story that spans decades mm. and even tells the story of the characters in kind of almost real time. Yeah. Um, that that's incredibly unique as well. Mm. So I don't know of any other. Stories off the top of my no, head. No, no, I mean, I, I mean, I think there are strips that have been going, you know, longer. So, you know, like Prince Valley, yeah, sure. Like, like in the US, it's been going longer, but you know, but I think they all yeah. look the same. You know, <laughs> I, think, yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> I think you know Tarzan, as I understand it, you know, sort of like Tarzan. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, uh, and I don't know, if, you know, if that was just because of a, you know, the sort of the creative challenge, you know, is greater when when you do that. You know, you know, mm. maybe that's what took him down that path initially. Um, uh, because yeah, you know, I guess you could have left them sort of goofing around at university forever. But you know, I guess that, you know when when I mean, when Trudeau started the strip, he was goofing around at university. You know, he couldn't really. He got. He it was sort of being. He went to Yale. He was actually. He was in. Um, uh, I got to get the right U.S. president. The first George Bush. Uh, he right. Was, uh, we, um, no, the second George Bush. W. George W. Bush, <laughs> the sort of the <laughs> shorter one, the uh, you know his dad had that sort of straightened yes. face. Uh, but yeah, he was like he was in the same year as him at Yale, and they were like on the beer committee together and things. And you know, they, so they you know, sort of you know, very strange sort of you know, very left leaning man versus this very oh, this guy would become a president, you know, in years to come. And uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, they would sort of yeah, but but when but when you know, so he got it in the like in the it was like running the student newspaper, which probably at Yale is a bit classy in the student newspapers that you know that, that I used to read. Um, but he gets a sort of like a pro, a pro publishing deal while he's still at university, uh, you know, and it's going to sort of get nationwide distribution. He's like, oh, but I've I've agreed to stay on to do a master's. I haven't really got time for this comic strip. No, like, no, 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 it's going to go nationwide. You you got to start producing this stuff. Like, oh my god. Um, so yeah, you know, he has to you know he has to really uh, turn it up and. Uh, and start producing it and, and, and stop goofing around at university. Well, he does actually carry on. He finishes his, his course um, and, and then um, you know, turns his attention to the strip more. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the idea maybe, you know, you just, you know, you will lose track and lose touch with those people. Whereas I guess, you know, if you're aging in real time, then you can sort of, 
you can mirror your own life experiences um as mm-hmm. well but uh yeah no he's a, I, I, i'm very lucky I've, I've met him twice um and oh. yeah so it was very 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 cool. once once very expectedly i went to the edinburgh book festival uh to go and see him do a talk uh and once very unexpectedly uh in the cartoon museum in london he was he was popping in wow. and uh yeah i was just sort of, i had one of his a big new book i was just sort of idly flicking through it thinking oh this is quite nice maybe i should put this on my christmas list and they uh, the guy who's um, works there, Stephen Marchant, sort of sidled up to me and said, he's coming in this afternoon, you know. I was like, what do you mean he's coming in? He's like, yeah, he's coming in. He's going to sign us a few books and things. And I thought, but I'm on my lunch hour. Uh, and this is, you know, it's my, my favourite comic creator in the whole world. And I'm still yeah. here and, it, and I'm on my lunch hour. And I, now I can't leave because I want to buy a book so I can get exactly. him to sign it. But I'm supposed to be back at work and I'm supposed to be doing stuff. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, so I basically I, I put the book down I legged it out to Forbidden Planet around the corner bought bought a book rang my work and said oh small children what are you going to do they're ill I've got to go yeah, home <laughs> brilliant genius yeah I think I think the statute of limitations has passed on that so I think yeah I'll yeah, yeah you'll be saying <laughs> uh, and then I just sort of sat in the cartoon museum if you've ever been to the cartoon museum in London I just sort of sat there with sort of Stephen March and sort of keep an army going no no honestly he's gonna turn up i'm like that's fine i'll just sit here and read you know he'll turn up and he and he did he turned up and he had a sort of a tour of the building and i saw you know follow you know watched him walk all the way around the building have his tour and then you know, very graciously at the end the curator said oh i think this person would just like you to ah, yes thank you very much yeah, please sign my book uh, uh and he did and that was real sort of like you know it was Somebody, you know, you never think you'd get to see, you know, he lives in America, you know, yeah. what are the odds of bumping into him in central London? You know, pretty rubbish. Oh uh, and I just went to the museum on well, that day. I just got that, that book down from the shelf and just, you know, all the stars aligned on that day. So, that's yeah. beautiful, man. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, obviously, um, very meaningful in many ways. So, um, Indeed. that's great. Mm. Now, uh, next question uh, that comes up from your family in the Palmerston mm. Fort um, is what's the most underrated comic? Uh, the most underrated comic. Uh, so this was uh, um, quite a hard one to choose, um, but I, in the end, I went with. So, uh, so, so my collection doesn't really include lots of 2000 AD. Uh, you know, there's just too much 2000 AD even for me. You know, there's. I mean, you know, 40 years, 50 weeks a year, you know, it's 2000 issues, you know, there's a lot of, you know, need to give a lot of house room, you know, if you wanted, you know, if you didn't have any annuals or any reprint volumes or anything, you know, just house room, for, you know, 2000 issues of 2000, whatever it is, you know, that would take up a lot of room. So I don't really, um, and so, so I've never really uh, collected 2000, yeah, you know, I've got bits and pieces. Um, so I, I've picked a comic, um, so a lot of creators who worked on 2008 also worked on, uh, which was uh, so Warhammer, um, sort of the the fantasy role playing game. Yeah. Uh, so so I used to really love playing Warhammer. So it's another reason I, I picked it. Uh, you know, with a sort of a gang of friends at school, um, and they produced uh, a monthly comic uh, from about 1998 to 2004. I'm gonna say, um, and and I I never. I never saw it, or if I did see it, I didn't. I didn't buy it at the time. I don't really know why. Um, it's sort of US sort of size, uh, traditional comic size, um, and it lasted, I think, eight, 
90 issues, something like that. Uh, but it's just full of people, you know, who you would now associate, you know, with 2000 AD. Um, but they weren't necessarily at the time working for 2000 AD, or they were sort of fitting in around their 2000 AD work. So uh, Dylan Teague, Fraser Irving, uh, you know, Patrick Goddard, Colin McNeil, you know, so, you know, these are big names uh, that, you know, that we more readily associate uh, with 2000 AD, Kev Hopgood, Kev Walker. I think Kev Hopgood, oh, it's one of the Kevs, Kev Hopgood, Kev Walker, you know, just like, um, production art for like two thousand um, for Star Wars movies these days. Um, it's got you know scripts you know from Pat Mills, Dan Abnett, Robbie Morrison, Cy Spurrier. I mean, so it's like a sort of to me anyway. It's like a sort of lost mini version of two thousand AD, but set mm. in in a mixture. So the stories are a mixture of sort of the classic Warhammer universe and in the Warhammer forty thousand or forty k universe, yeah. so Space Marines and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, and, and we used to. Mm. Role play, you know, Warhammer forty K as well and you know, sort of the the miniatures and the sort of the games workshop uh, shops that you could go to. Um so yeah, I mean I just think, you know, if you're a two thousand A D fan, you know, I think it's like it's like a little mini version of two thousand A D full of artists and creators that you that you would that you really like. Uh and yet, you know, for whatever reason, you know, obviously it didn't sell as well as two thousand A D did, uh, you know, did uh, pretty well, whatever it is, eighty or ninety issues, um, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and I've I've gone back and I, you know I've collected um, all the back issues, and there are loads of uh, sort of trade paperbacks um, of the strips that are in there that were published, you know, both at the time and have been published subsequently, and you know, in some cases, they're still being published, sort of twenty years later. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a testament to the quality of the creators, you know, and, and the work that they they were producing. But yeah, you know, Pat Mills, you think, oh, you know, people think, oh, Pat Mills, oh, I love Nemesis the Warlock. And I think, oh, what about the Redeemer for Warhammer? And they sort of look at you a bit blankly like, I've never heard of that, mate. And it's like, well, honestly, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, he doesn't quite say, uh, what is it, be, be pure, behave, be innocent or something, you know, but he's got his own version of that, but it's very much styled as though, it's like, hang on, this is a bit like Nemesis the Warlock and he's got this burning, I'm going to get the word right, brazier, uh, on his head, obviously, as he would do. Uh, and it's like, and honestly, if you like Nemesis the Warlock, you know, I think you'd really dig this strip. Um, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's slightly, it's not quite before the internet was invented, but, you know, there's a sort of... It was in its early days. Yeah, it was in its early days. And therefore, you know, unless you go back and, you know, you're, you're prepared to actually go out, you know, and buy all these comics, you know, it's hard to know what is in there. And therefore, people literally don't know what they're missing um so yeah so i picked that warhammer uh, monthly comic uh, as my most underrated comic of all time brilliant i'm gonna have to try and try and find that yeah because <laughs> uh, that, that sounds great yeah. um and as you say kind of like a mini 2000 ad yeah. in a way um yeah. to get to get a proper taste of that and yeah i, I was a bit into um, not loads because my, my mm. mate was really into it like right. Warhammer and Games Workshop and everything. Um, and I'd kind of, you know, just use his table that he'd spend <laughs> yeah, hours on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right, I could just rock up and just kind of, you know, play play on his, uh, this massive table that he's yeah. kind of spent hours oh, kind of painting. and <laughs> 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 I can appreciate way. it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. like being an uncle. 
yeah. Like, yeah. You get all the fun and then just pass them over to the parents <laughs> yeah. afterwards. If you could uh, just paint that bit by next Friday, that'd be good. And then when yeah. I come round at the weekend, it'll be sorted. That'd be nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but that, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our penultimate question: mm-hmm. uh, What comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics? Uh, to a friend who's never read comics, um, yeah, I think that's, that's that's a great question. I think it's it's hard. Uh, you know, I'd what you know, much as you think, oh, you just got to read some Alan Moore. You got to read some Alan Moore. You know, I, I give you a bit of Swamp Thing, or oh, this is a thing called Miracle Man or Marvel Man or whatever it is. Um, you know, probably more than the more than the comic about the 1982 World Cup. Um, but I think. I just think they'll look at it and go, this Watchmen, there appear to be men in capes and large pants. And this is just, you know, you know, you can sort of feel the shutters coming down and the hackles rising. It's not really going to work out. Um, This giving somebody I don't, you know, somebody I know, you know, somebody with capes, so kind of capes. Um, You know, I'd love to give them asterisks because, uh, you know, I read an asterisk book the other day to go on somebody else's podcast. uh, And it just made me laugh a lot. Um, but I think if I said to someone, do you really want to read this? You know, Asterix in Switzerland. I think they'd just say, oh, I, I, no, I've read that when I was six, Richard. I don't need to read it again. Yeah, exactly. It's really funny. There are really great puns in all the front. And there are loads of puns. There are puns everywhere. You will laugh. They're just, no, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I wouldn't. So, so I can't have Asterix or Tintin or any of those other sort of Bond destiné uh, strips that I really love. Um, you know, I think... We've all had a miserable year, so I can't give them V for Vendetta uh, <laughs> or, or the tale of one bad rat, which would be another great, you know, when I say a great story, you know, it's a great story, but it's a miserable, horrible um, tale being told by this, uh, this one bad rat. Um, so, yeah, so I, so I think um, for those reasons, um, I, I would choose Mouse, um, uh, as, as other people have done in the past and probably for the same reasons. Uh, you know, I think people... In the way that I worry that people, you know, if I gave them something with people, with, you know, superheroes wearing capes, they would sort of go, nah, it's got capes in it, Rich, I'm all right. I don't need any more capes. I think sort of the anthropomorphic nature uh, of the story, um, I think people would maybe cut that a bit more slack somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, they sort of, they, you know, they get the idea. You know, okay, you know, the, these these guys, you know, these characters are, are the cats. These These characters... Are the rats, um, and you know, and it's about a sort of. See, for, for anyone who hasn't read Mouse, um, I would recommend it. Um, you know, in, in so much, um, you know, but it's about the Holocaust. So, you know, so I think you know, if I was giving it to uh, you know a friend, they'd probably be a similar age to me. So you know, they might be interested in reading about the Holocaust. Um, and yeah, so I think you know, it's sort of when I say it's a necessary evil. You know, I mean, it, it's not got mm. capes. Um, Having obviously just said we've all had a miserable year, I couldn't possibly let somebody read V for Vendetta or the Tale for One Bad Rat. I've given them a comic about the Holocaust, which I'm not saying is <laughs> it's um, a bright, bright story. <laughs> no, exactly. That's, that's not that's not the angle I'm coming in at. Uh, but you know what I mean. You know, it's um, yeah. I, I, I would I, I would Mouse is incredible. It's you know it's it's, it's a mixture of uh, so Art Spiegelman, who, who's the artist. You know, it's a you know it's him talking. Um, mainly to his dad um you know who's a concentration camp survivor so some of it is sort of autobiographical about him unpicking the relationship he has with his father you know which has been 
probably quite difficult, quite fraught, but it's only by seeing it through the, that sort of lens of the Holocaust uh, and the concentration camps, you know, he sort of becomes comes to understand why his father is the way he is, you know, and, and, and grows closer to him as a result. Um, but but the idea, you know, ultimately, you know, is very um, sort of simple and straightforward and beautifully executed in terms of, um, I, think, I think it's the, they're mice, aren't they? The Jews are mice. Uh, and, and the Nazis are are cats. So, you know, it's literally, a, you know, a cat and mouse game. It's sort of, you know, Tom and yeah. Jerry. Um, you know, people get that. I, you know, I think you would get that as a, you know, cats versus mice. Oh, yeah, I get cats versus mice. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're not sort of completely anthropomorphized. So, you know, if you're looking at it just casually, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, yes, it's cats and mice. They're, they're it's literally not, just made bipedal, aren't they? Yes, yeah. So they're, um, you know, it's not quite as, you know, not maybe quite like you know, Rupert the Bear or something. You know, it's not yeah. like that. You know, it's a very, um, you know, obviously it's quite, a, you know, a grim and, and dark story, but but it's, you know, it's, a, it's an important story uh, and it's mm. just uh, amazingly told. So yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend um, to my friend. Obviously, I get their own copy; and they're not stealing mine. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, that's a, that's a great choice and a great starting point yeah. for people. I suppose it it really help, would help them see the possibilities of comics and graphic novels. Um, just because most people don't realise that it is more than just capes. Um, yep. And that it perhaps open a world to them that they have no idea exists. <laughs> yeah, and then that was another reason I wanted to choose a story that, you know, that that showed the, the the power of the the medium, and you know it made sense to read it in a, in a comic format, you know, and rather than you know in a different medium to say no, no, this is this is the way the story is told. So, so yeah, so so maths, so yeah, fantastic. Now coming on to our last question: if you could only mm. take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Um, it's very very tough question. Uh, I, I did think at one point I'd chance my arm and say. 2000 AD, because I thought, oh, well, yeah, 2000, whatever it is, 200 issues, uh, you know, uh, 30 pages a week. So it's quite a lot of comics. I could really catch up on my 2000 AD. You know, I could really scratch yeah. that itch, you know. Uh, um, you know, it would be quite a big book. I appreciate it, but, you know, but <laughs> I could, you know, I'm already in quite a dense, quite fortified building. But obviously, if we did get attacked by the superintendent apes, I would be able to hide behind 2000 ADs, you know, they, they would act, you know, it was a great, you know, no bullet is getting through those bad boys when I line them up in their, their binders. Um, but I thought, well, actually, you know what, I'm not sure everyone else uh, on my Palmerston Fort is going to want to read 2000 AD. Uh, and obviously, we've had quite a miserable year. So, you know, 40 years worth of Judge Dredd, you know, being the whatever out of people might not you know, be a thing that we could share. So I thought, oh, you know, I should try and think about something you know that i could share and that we could all read and that we would all might all enjoy you know and would bring you know joy to us all so uh so the strip that, that i think most most readily and most happily you know brings joy you know really to anyone uh should be calvin and hobbs you know the complete calvin and hobbs um I, you know every time i read it and I, and I don't read it you know very often but but i've read it plenty in the past and just you know the the adventures uh, that Calvin and Hobbes would get up to on a, you know one of their uh, big Sunday strips, um, you know, I just, it's just, it's just 
pure joy. It's like joy, not diluted, but you know, so, you know, it's just down to it, it, its essence of life and fun, and you know, even in sort of a, a more normal sort of weekly strip, um, just the, the questions that they ask of, of life. And you know, if you're a six-year-old boy with a, with a toy stuffed tiger. Um, you know, I think, you know, even when my, when my kids are growing up, you know, it would you know, take me back to those days when, you know, they were six and they had stuffed toys and they were important to them. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think, I think we'd all read it. It would all make, it'd make us all smile, make us all laugh. Um, yeah, Calvin and Hobbes. Pushes all the buttons. Certainly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good blanket as well, probably. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of trying to escape mm. <laughs> from, uh, from where, 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 when the the super intelligent apes work out that they can just use boats, <laughs> <laughs> but they'd be very worried about boats in case they fell over. You see, I'm, so I'm of course, of, yeah, 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 totally, hundred <laughs> percent. I just got to be worried if they if they make it, they're able to make a bridge of some kind. <laughs> That's the um, anyway, um, alongside the complete works of uh, Calvin and Hobbes, mm. uh, what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take with you as well? Uh, well, I'm sort of hoping my Palmerston fort comes complete with, you know, boring, you know, uh, chlorination plant or whatever to, so I don't have to worry about supplies of fresh water. Um, yeah. uh, um, but I, but I think the obvious answer, although I say obvious, nobody, I don't, I'm not sure how many people, uh, picked it, uh, but you know, a jetpack. why, you know, I, I think a jetpack, you know, why would you not, you know, why would you not want a jetpack? I mean, it seems crazy. You know, you can sort of, I can buzz over to the mainland. You know, I can buzz over to the Isle of Wight. I can buzz over to the, you know, the other parts and forts. Uh, you know, I, I could buzz under or over the bridge that the uh, uh, superintendent apes are building. Um, yeah, in jetpacks. I mean, it's the future. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> always. <laughs> always. You know, so if I'm running short supplies, oh, it's fine. I'll put my jetpack on. I'll, I'll go off and do you know. Who, who would Particularly that go? new one. Have you seen that <laughs> new one? The new jetpack. Oh, it's my favorite yeah. one. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? That guy. He's like, it's absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know um, what it's called. I'm sure you can kind of, you know, Google probably jetpack 2019 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just... And yeah, no, it's like a full on jetpack, isn't it? Like on his feet and his back and his hands and stuff like that. It's wild. Yeah. Who, who wouldn't want that? So yeah, all, all, all this talk of sort of, you know, uh, sharp knives, uh, you know, and bow sticks, and you know, um, you know, strawberries or whatever people normally choose. No, no, no. You obviously want a jetpack. You, you, you're, you're all wrong, I'm afraid. So, uh, so yeah, jetpack. That would, awesome. that would sort me right out, I think. One hundred percent. Well, Richard Sheaf, thank you so much for sharing your comics with the apocalypse. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, thank you, Sam. It's, it's been a real pleasure myself. Fantastic. And one more time for the listeners, where can they find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Richard and Sheaf, S-H-E-A-F. Uh, and you can find me blogging every day at boysadventurecomics.blogspot. And if you haven't come across the blog so far, uh, there's plenty to catch up on. Uh, I, I don't know what post number will be when this comes out, but uh, probably in the 1700s about 1700 posts up at the moment uh so yeah like i say plenty to to get your teeth into fantastic um and yeah hopefully our our paths will cross once again when uh when comic cons get up and running uh i'd love that that'd be great 
100 percent uh well richard thank you again so much for, for for being on the pod today and uh yeah i'll uh i'll see you on twitter i'll see you on twitter sam take care you too mate bye bye thanks again to richard for being on comics for the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show please leave a review for us on itunes or whichever podcast service you use as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Richard's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.